Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clue series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We are also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We believe well-designed employee benefit plans enhance people's lives. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Al, happy Friday. What do you say? Well, I'm afraid that by the time this is broadcast, it will be passed, but this is Father's Day weekend coming up, so uh, I just wanted to wish Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. It's been such a busy time. I I hadn't even uh, thought about that. So yeah, to all the fathers, have a great uh, Father's Day weekend. Well, I'm excited to be here. We have a good friend who's been on the show, Mark LaFleur, and uh, he's made some fantastic introductions for us in the past. And we just love that guy. And and again, any friend of Mark's is a friend of ours. So our guest today is Vino Jayapalad, CEO and founder of Cabo, which is a Toronto-based company helping dogs live healthier and happier lives with fresh food delivered. Welcome to the show, Vino. Thanks for having me. And I got to say, uh, Father's Day is also for the dog dads out there. So I know Mark is the new dog dad himself. And uh, I think he's going to enjoy this weekend, hopefully with his pup doing some hikes. <laughs> oh, perfect. I was a Dober dad. I called myself a Dober dad for, for 20 <laughs> years when I had my Dobermans. And, and this is this is the first time in, in my adult life I haven't had one. And uh, certainly I miss it. But yeah, I was a Dober dad for many years. And, and, I, and I, I took that seriously. And I celebrated that too. So why don't we start? Tell us about Cabo. Yeah, for sure. So at Cabo, as you mentioned, you know, we have the simple mission of trying to help pets live a happier and healthier life. And we do it simply by just making the experience of how much to feed your dog, what to feed your dog as simple as possible. Customers are able to come onto our site at Cabo.co, have a really different experience than, you know, what you'd have uh, walking into a retail store or trying to search for something on Amazon. And customers quite simply just tell us about their pet. Uh, anything from age, weight, breed, activity level, that all helps us determine the right amount of food that that dog needs. And we simply present them with different product forms from freshly cooked diets to dry dog food. And they're able to find something that not only meets their dog's uh, dietary requirements, but at the same time fits their lifestyle. And we make it as simple as possible by ensuring the food is healthy and safe and delivering it to them on a reoccurring basis. And they have the ability after ordering to really work with our team of animal health experts around transitioning to the food, learning more about how they can prepare their pet for seniorhood or the next life stage or degenerative issues that might be hitting their breed. And that entire subscription experience really starts with winning over that dog bowl that sits in the kitchen. I wish this had been around back in the day when I was first getting my dogs, because I remember, and we still have it in our office at home, a filing cabinet with all these printouts and research that my wife had done because with a Doberman, a little bit of a, not a temperamental breed, but there's some health issues that you had to be really careful about. And there was nowhere to turn to. I mean, she was Mm -hmm. doing research, trying to find someone to talk to, trying to reach out to get the information on the nutrition. And something like this would have been so helpful back then. It made life so much easier. So I, I think that's that's great. 
I wanted to talk to you because, you know, I love talking to other business owners because we're going through the same things, right? Like building a team and, and, and adding people to the roster. But when you're starting out in a company like this, how do you go about building that team? And, and especially when you're, you know, an early stage, you're not necessarily offering, you know, high salary, you know, fancy benefits, by the way, on the benefit side, I can always help you down the road, but how do you do that? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the hardest challenges, you know, on a surface level, you go to the website, you're like, okay, great. Here's a company that sells dog food on the internet. I'm an engineer. I probably want to go work at Clubhouse or the hottest new tech company out there. What's going to really bring me over here? And I think early on, obviously, you don't have those resources to to be able to to bring people, especially if you don't have that external financing. So a lot of it, you know, is, is really around the mission. Funny enough, we'll recruit anyone from an accountant to HR, to engineering, sometimes on the base premise that they themselves have pets and have just faced that issue themselves, right? Being that first-time dog owner, not understanding, you know, how to prepare for the future and just really thinking about today and tomorrow. And here's a company that's not only going to do the food aspect, but really just guide you through that entire experience. And when they start to see and hear more about that mission and vision, then they start to see the opportunity of saying, okay, maybe this is my opportunity to make a story for myself or, or build something that I wouldn't necessarily have access to at a larger company. And I think that's the biggest thing that early stage companies have. And something I realized, you know, after the fact is that, oh, wow, like people are actually resonating with my message, with the mission the company's developed over time, our culture, and learning more about like how we instill uh, empowerment amongst our team and have a lot of diversity and inclusion around perspectives and how we should think about branching out the mission from the founders. And it really, the best way to do that when you look in hindsight is being on podcasts like this, being able to share your culture and your information on blogs and really disseminating it. And, and I think that was the biggest learning lesson for myself when I were to think about, okay, what would I do differently that really brought in people that ended up creating the most amount of impact. And we were able to compete with these big heavy hitters who are also recruiting in, in our region. It was simply around just being transparent. It was just being and showing what you're up to, what you're doing. And, and the more people get to know it, there's going to be aspects of it that really stick to them. And now we've really been a lot more vocal around it, sharing our stories, doing being part of industry events, and really being active earlier on, whether it's at university events or even uh, youth scholarship events. Uh, we really know that there's a pipeline here to build and an image and a brand and a, and a perception that we want to be able to share to the community. And I think that's like the number one thing that every actually CEO or, and founder should be focused on because hiring, you know, whether it's at that early stage or now, is still the thing that's top of mind. I love hearing that. And to your point, that's one of the reasons why I love doing the podcast, right? Because I know personally, I love hearing these stories of founder stories and, and what you're passionate about and why and the struggles that came along the way. So I loved your answer. And for our part, I'm happy that we can help share your story because I think it is a really great one as well. You know, I know you're still trying to build your business and grow it. So can you talk a little bit about what some of your challenges are right now in terms of as you continue to scale up, what, what keeps you up at night? Yeah, I think the team piece and the culture is always a big aspect of it. I think one part is, like, okay, how do you convince people to come in? And the other aspect is now, how do you onboard them and really build this environment that grows? And I think a lot of founders kind of miss out on the fact that the companies are going to go through these stages. And you know, in the initial part, it's the founders that are also the executors. So then there's a stage where it comes to removing yourself as the executor and becoming more involved as like a people manager or driving top level strategy. And then there's a stage now where you really have to start looking at it and saying, okay, what are these cultural gaps that you have that don't allow people to have ownership on the work? 
or these cultural gaps that exist that don't allow us to have proper communication in place. And I think the the difficult part, especially with working remotely, is that aspect. It's how do you bridge information being able to transfer from one team to the other team without kind of forcing play dates, let's say, or unnecessary meetings uh, and finding very natural ways to create this. And if we remember to the times back in the office, it was this great opportunity where, and also a bad opportunity where someone could kind of walk over and just start a discussion. And depending on who you ask, it could be a distraction or not. And I think one of the things that we're also thinking about is we've always been a remote company prior to COVID. It has allowed us to hire a talent pool across the country. Our scientist was in Saskatoon when we found her. If we were just located in the greater Toronto area, we wouldn't have been able to bring talent like that and, and the people we found in BC and Quebec and really been able to leverage it and kind of look beyond the aspect of location. But now we hit this problem of, okay, now how do we foster this great thing that started off with a group of people starting the company where ideas are spurring between each other, information is spurring between each other. But now when you're a bit more remote and there's a lot more day-to-day function with the business around the daily operation, how do you continually instill innovation? Because it's always going to be with the people and it's around now adapting to this new world where we're starting to think, okay, is there an opportunity for us to do, you know, this monthly team powwows where it's the data team coming together with the growth team and talking and working on one session. On the other hand, my co-founder, who's also my identical twin brother, is hosting these workshops where we're bringing in individuals from different companies, whether they be from Facebook, TikTok, Help Scout, to talk about anything from retention to growth to even just balance of work and life and all these different types of learning skills because we want to create environments where people are thinking outside of their day-to-day and at the same time find opportunities where they can collaborate a lot more. And I remember being back at Facebook when the company was growing over the span of the four or five years I was there. Uh, At the end of it, they had the same problem as well. Ironically, a company that's a social network and has all these great collaboration tools, it was so difficult for us to disseminate like, okay, here are these great D2C practices that have been working with brands like Dollar Shave Club. And then you have these businesses in Singapore or China or in EMEA that, you know, we're missing out on this learning, right? And I remember being in that role and, you know, really trying to figure, okay, what was the best way to do this? And and the solution was really me flying around to these countries and, and presenting to the team. And now I'm sitting back here in my own shoes saying, okay, like, what's a more feasible way I can do it without that big Facebook budget? So on that note, have you found something that works best? If you were to say, this is the one thing that we've uh, found that works best in order to bring our team together and collaborate. Is there something you can you can point to? Yeah, but you know what's really been interesting? Is I haven't been finding it. My team has been doing it on their own. So what's really been interesting is our interns kind of put together this meetup on Monday where they'll come together and just like hang out and talk. And all of a sudden, they're starting to share experiences, learnings from their one-on-ones and managers. And I thought that was great. Now you have like personal and professional development with our team there. And that was something done ad hoc. On the other side, you know, another example is on our data team. uh, One of our hires, she said, okay, we're seeing a lot of problems. The data team's always getting these logs and they're constantly prioritizing. But is there an opportunity for us once a week or once every other week to set up a data challenge and say, okay, here's an issue that's been brought up. It's not like detrimentally top priority based on what we've done in our quarterly plans, et cetera, but can we do something and come together and say, let's create a step function so that one, we're able to alleviate time, let's say on the operations team when it comes to inventory counting. And the same thing is happening on the engineering team where they'll have like a weekend drinks and it's literally virtually, you know, having a couple of drinks and really trying to solve a problem over a span of a few hours, which is really interesting because it's, both creating this like personal bond and and kind of coming together and saying, hey, we're going to dedicate this time and solve it. 
but I love the fact that it's kind of come from that team internally. And, and now my job is to think, how do I like take this and figure out to, uh, how do we add fuel to the fire? So we're looking at, you know, being able to do that in-person setup where the data team can kind of come together for a day and be able to solve these problems. And similarly for the engineering team and, and different individuals and different groups of people based on the challenges that we're prioritizing around our customer experience. That's a great story. That was actually, as you say, ad hoc and, and really something that came out of your team rather than from, you know, the management, if you will. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. You touched on a number of things there, Vino, and, and I just want to unpack a couple because I think it's important. We were not a remote company prior to the pandemic. And, and of course, last March, we had to do it overnight. So that, that, was, a, that was definitely an adjustment. And we worried about the same things that you, that you mentioned. How do you continue to build that culture? Because especially in the office, we had this really good culture and, you know, people enjoyed coming to the office space. And, and, and I think you're right. There were some times where I'm like, I wish I could work from home because I, people just keep walking into the office and, and disturbing me. So, I mean, maybe there's a balance there. But one of the things that we did, because when this all happened, we said, well, are we going to touch base and, and keep that culture going? And one of the things that we implemented was the daily huddle. So I, I have a daily huddle with the partners. I have a daily huddle with my team. And I found that's worked really well. And it's 15 minutes. Trust me, nobody wants more meetings, but that meeting, if you come prepared, works really well because it's, what are you stuck on? What's your action item for the day? What's our plan for the week? And the other one that isn't unique at all, I'm sure every company has it, a team meeting. On a Monday morning, we have a team meeting. But one of the things we brought to the table, and it's just fun and it sets a positive tone for the week is one week, Al will have to show up and and pick a song as the intro and the outro to that meeting. And it's created some fun and engagement around it because people are wanting, okay, what's Vino's song going to be next week? Or what's Anmol's song going to be next week? And a lot of the time it surprises you. And we have some fun around that. And I mean, it takes an extra couple of minutes into the meeting, but it really sets the tone for a positive week because Mondays are, you know, you got a big week ahead of you. So we want to set that tone. And, and one of the things that you you touched on, and certainly we're doing it in our business as well, or at least we like to think, is driving that innovation. And you mentioned that a few times in your answer. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is the pet food industry. Like I said, I wish you guys were around back in the day when I was younger and, and had my dogs and was... But it wasn't there. I mean, you, you just went out and it was a standard. You bought this brand, this brand, this brand, or this brand. How do you go about driving innovation with pet food? Yeah, it's it's an interesting area to tackle because it, it's not like my background is in animal health sciences or in the world of dog food. I, you know, I just spend most of my life being around and being a part of building a lot of these consumer brands that people see, whether it's like a razor being shipped to their door or mattress or clothing, you know, I've I've been surrounded by it and just been able to see the impact of it. And I think when we looked at pet food, it was just really from a first person point of view. And similarly, our team kind of looks at it from that perspective. A majority of our team, I'd say like well over 95% have pets and are dog parents themselves. So they really understand and put themselves in the shoes. And at the same time as well, a lot of our, are funny enough, a lot of our employees are also customers of ours. And that's just really allowed them to understand our business and understand the areas of, of where that innovation comes from. But I think with innovation, it really starts off at one simple thing. When we looked at the area of pets and this, this daily ritual I had with my dog, it was really, I'd feed my dog two to three times a day. I'd walk him a couple times a day. And then I'd pick up his poop a lot more than any of those two things I did. And when I kept thinking about where innovation starts, especially in the consumer brand world, it's always around an area you can build trust and always around an area where you're doing something constantly. 
right? And I think that's always been a difficult aspect, right? If you're shipping, um, you know, a piece of furniture, it's great that you get that euphoric moment. You're very proud every time maybe someone comes over, but it's very hard to remind that person of that brand loyalty just from sitting down on a couch, right? But every day you feed your dog that food and, you know, you go onto our Instagram account and you'll see these like on delivery day, which is, you know, every week, you'll see these dogs getting excited. They recognize the box color. There's these small things that we realize that we're really, really missing. You know, when we look at like, you know, everyone assumes dogs are colorblind. They're not colorblind. They have a gradient scale of appearance. And you know, even the choice of color around that box is so that that dog can identify it and really understand that, okay, this is something coming. So innovation for us really starts at the smallest scale and saying, you know, when I used to get a bag of food, what was the most difficult part wasn't even, you know, my dog just getting excited. You know, let's be honest, dogs can get excited for a lot of things. It was really around the person, right? Like I'd get this bag. I didn't know how much to feed my dog. And if I wanted to, you can imagine, like you have to look at that little corner of the bag, open it up and here's a chart. And all of a sudden you're going back to like, I don't know, grade 10 science. And it looks like a periodic table for some reason. And you're like, why does it have to be rocket science here? Like, you know, we've been breeding dogs forever. Pet genotype isn't like human genotypes. Humans are a lot more diverse. You know, we weren't essentially inbred to like look a certain way or have certain physical characteristics for dog shows, but dogs are, right? Like we have golden retrievers, we have pugs, we have Dobermans, we have chow chows. And there's so much information out there about pets and, and their hereditary backgrounds. But at the same time, for us, when it came to that innovation piece, it was like, here's this problem. Like, I can't understand how much to feed my dog. When I look into it, I realized like, it should be simple, right? If pugs are essentially staying consistently bred or to some deviation of a difference, but there's all this research out there saying, okay, they're all going to have these breathing problems, digestive issues at a certain age, et cetera. Why isn't the person making the food making it easier for me? And that was really the first problem statement. And every time we bring on people onto our team, every time we talk about an initiative or a rollout of a feature or an enhancement of what we're offering, we always look at it from that problem point of view of saying, you know what, it's actually really difficult to like open our packs. So let's think about how we actually adapt the packaging aspect. It's really difficult for people to figure out how much to feed their dogs. So let's take away that thinking altogether and just say, here's the pack. You're either doing half a day or once a day, and we'll take care of the calorie requirements as your dog ages and changes. We'll give you those notifications through email. And, you know, it ends up sparring this like mentality amongst the team around how innovation works. And I think that's the most important thing that we've really tried to instill. And, you know, a really great example is when, when COVID hit last year, veterinary clinics and hospitals were not deemed essential. So they were essentially shut down and they were giving their PPE and their equipment to human hospitals at the time. And only, you know, urgent uh, care was operating. So surgeries and things like that. But remember, like pet parents think of their pets as their children, right? It's their fur babies. It's we talked about, you know, celebrating dog dads uh, for Father's Day. It, it's a real thing. We've humanized our pets and we continually will. So if I were to tell you, hey, FYI, your kids won't have access to any uh, health care for a few months because it's not deemed essential, you'd probably freak out. So one thing that allows us to constantly innovate is like having this direct access to our community. And we just talked to our dog parents and said, hey, listen, it's this news is starting to come out. It was first in Vancouver. I was there setting up our fulfillment center and said, let's send out a, a, like a survey to a few people and see what their concerns were. And their concerns were, yes, around things like stockpiling food and some of these other aspects. But the bigger one that, you know, really blindsided us was the access to vet care. And when we went on Google, we searched search data and we found like week over week, I think over a 30 day period when we looked at it in, in March, April versus the previous 30 days, searches for online vet care went up something like uh, 492 percent. 
So we knew right away that there was this opportunity to help the community. And in less than a week, we put together Canada's first free virtual vet clinic. And you know, from that, we learned actually, it's important to have animal healthcare experts on our team and be able to provide things like advice and care and be able to support them. I related back to when you were talking about pet parents. I have a dog as well. And we had the same conversation at the beginning of COVID, myself and my wife, you know, about the fact that vet clinics were shut down, right? And what are we going to do with our dog? So it makes total sense that we weren't the only ones thinking about it. But obviously, you know, you looked at that and were able to innovate around, like you said, around that that problem and, and solve it for people. So that's that's really great. And it brings me actually to the next question, because as you know, we create this podcast for a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs. So talk a little bit about what the entrepreneurial spirit means to you. Yeah, I think for me, the entrepreneurial spirit doesn't really mean starting your own company. I think it really means like embodying this drive of having end-to-end ownership and truly making impact and feeling like you've you've been able to, to drive that home. And I think what was really interesting for me is that when we started this company, it wasn't like we just went right deep into the water and said, okay, I'm gonna quit my job and do this. While at Facebook, my co-founder and I had this great opportunity. Facebook wasn't public at the time. We joined. We went through this whole experience of watching this quote-unquote startup go into more of a corporation. And, and they truly fostered entrepreneurial spirit. Didn't matter what location you were at at Facebook. You know, our managing director did such a great job of just really being able to create. It was like the wild, wild west. He was like, hey, here's your horse and buggy and, and go out and make an impact. And, and here are the lanes that you stay in. And when you're given that opportunity, I think, That's the interesting part where you see entrepreneurial spirit start to foster. It's really around this concept of like problem solving. And, you know, you could do it at a corporation. When I was in high school, for me, where I think I really found my entrepreneurial spirit was through volunteering. It was internally for me an excuse to get out of school. Like I apologize to all the vice principals out there that always pull my brother and I aside. And, you know, we were organizing like an ecological conference where we had Justin Trudeau come and speak in 2008, David Suzuki's daughter, Severin, who was, you know, at the time, like helping us solve this problem of, hey, environmental sustainability isn't a thing talked about in the suburbs. You know, my brother and I just moved out there and we saw this great opportunity around just being able to bring people together, solve a problem. Here's a grant program that could fund this. And it was like, wow, what a great opportunity to solve a problem and all these resources I could bring together, all these people that'll support me. And it really, you know, for me, always came down to this ability to problem solve, but it didn't matter what the vehicle was, right? Like you can be a volunteer and have an entrepreneur spirit. You can be in a corporation and have that entrepreneurial spirit. The goal that you should have when you have that little like inkling is just to feed it a little bit, right? And every time I'd even have a startup idea, you know, I'd go on Photoshop and use my horrible design skills to start mocking it up when I was a lot younger, thinking that, okay, maybe I was going to get into apps because it was just like the big thing to talk about. And slowly you just start to give yourself that ability to see where that spirit grows and how it fosters inside of you. And eventually for me, it ended up resulting in like leaving university early, joining Facebook and having more and more confidence to just like bet on myself when it came to actually starting my own startup. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, it really comes down to this like inkling that every human has inside of them to solve a problem, whether it's in their personal life and working in another company or even going out and, and doing it for others. I'm always curious, when did that show up for you? Because I know when it showed up for me, I was 11 years old. You had to be 12 to deliver the Toronto Sun. And I might have told a fib so I could get the job. And then I started cutting lawns after that. And then at 15, I got hired fantastic experience to be honest and it was a hard job at the time working at mcdonald's you know six i would i would close the place i would open the place but i'm always curious with entrepreneurs 
Did you know as a young, a very young child, or was this something that developed along the way? And using that cliche term, like a hustly mentality, but like, you know, I guess at the end of the day, my brother and I were a little bit of hustlers earlier on. And I think for us, it was a means to an end. And I think we did anything from playing Pokemon cards and, and running a little bit of a gambit there around like how we can sell these cards or like, you know, play these battles and win against people and start to, to kind of develop some, some kind of cash flow there. And then uh, all the way down to, you know, we did newspaper routes in high school. We had like three jobs each. And for us, we always kept thinking about like, like how do I go through these systems? And especially in school, for us, I felt like when we were going from, you know, elementary to high school, like high school is really that moment for me because one, you have this thing where you have to do volunteer hours and, you know, we're first generation Canadians. We're not born in Canada, but essentially the first generation Canadians uh, in our side of the family. And when we were going through this experience of being, oh, like this is weird. You have to do volunteer hours. Like volunteerism was kind of my entryway into this entrepreneurial side of things because I ended up starting a nonprofit that still exists to this day called uh, Youth Environmental Network of York Region. And it was on the simple premise that I was involved in these clubs just to knock off some hours. But I would look at it and say, wow, this environmental club has a $300 budget and this is all we're doing all year round. And I went on Google, saw that like the town of Markham had this grant for like, I think it was like $15,000 for environmental sustainability and people weren't actually using it. They had a category specific for youth and it wasn't being utilized. And I said, hmm, I wonder how it's going to take to start a nonprofit. So in grade 10, I just like Googled it, no lawyers, did the incorporation, (laughs) somehow figured it out and ended up incorporating this business, did a few programs, got these grants. You know, we were able to host conferences where, as I mentioned, we'd have Justin Trudeau, Seven Calls Suzuki. We'd have thousands of people attending. And then eventually took that and it started getting involved in more nonprofits because in my mind, I kept thinking, okay, entrepreneurialism is going to be a side hustle of mine, but through the nonprofit world. And while I was doing that, you know, my brother and I were also working at like jobs like McDonald's. We were waiters and bartenders. We also had a job as like a TD teller. And we fast tracked our high school education by taking summer school earlier, by knowing what the requirements were. And technically we were done grade 12 by the end of grade 11. And all we did pretty much was have one course just so that we could see our friends and kind of be a part of school. But at the same time, all we do is just work throughout the day, do these nonprofits, go do like a shift at like a wedding at this golf course that we were bartenders or waiters at, which we were also underage for as well by one year of serving alcohol. But the twins are a dynamic duo, especially when your names are Vino and Vijay and you're at a golf course that's owned by a lot of Italian families. You know, Vino's a popular name and Vijay Singh's a popular golfer. So for us, it was all about, you know, what was the output we could make in high school and at a given time. And every time we'd see these opportunities, we'd jump ship and say, okay, how do we just take advantage of it? And and now it's drastically changed because I think diverting focus and having that energy is a lot harder to find. We just hope those golf course owners aren't (laughs) listening in today and go back and garnish all your wages that you you were underage serving serving alcohol. (laughs) I'm I'm listening. This is one of the reasons why I love this podcast, because it's amazing to have these conversations. And I'm sitting here listening to you, Vino, and and I can feel the energy. You know, we're recording via Zoom, obviously, but I can feel the energy as if we're in the room. And I'm thinking, okay. I can work harder. I can work harder. I can do more because, you know, I, I see things that you're doing and I, I think it's just incredible. One of the things I did want to talk to you about, because I think it's incredibly important, especially now, because we are seeing stats on burnout with employees, mental health issues. I, I know for my own clients, they're, they're reaching out. And, and in 25 years, I haven't had that many clients reach out and say, hey, 
we need to look deeper into this mental health support and what's available through the plan. So I think it's incredibly important, and especially as a leader, and Al, Joe, and I uh, certainly talk to our team about this too, but for your own mental health break, just to get away from work, because especially as an entrepreneur, and, and, and again, I can feel your energy, and, and you're probably the type like us where you can just go, 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 because you're, you're passionate about the business. What do you do outside of work just to decompress and get away from it all? Yeah, I, I definitely say one of the things, you know, speaking of golf, is golfing. <laughs> I honestly find the, the one sport I've been able to take part in, not like I do it well, but uh, I really enjoy is golfing. I think being able to like put yourself in an environment where you're not surrounded by your phone or technology or, or really it's about that mindset. And, and I find like that's one of the things that really helps. Unfortunately, it's kind of hard to do a round of 18 and allocate that time. But I think the other thing that I've, I've personally just been doing a lot since starting this business has been around meditation. And I use Headspace. I'm a, you know, a full paid subscriber of it. I'm a huge advocate of meditation and and just being able to like understand your mind and really being able to, whether it's like breathing practices. And it, for me, it simply just started out like two, three minutes a day. I'm going to get news every day, whether it's COVID affecting a facility or if it's, you know, we're running out of cash or here's this problem, our site's down. And there's going to be things in the entrepreneurial journey that I just realized always will be around the fact that not every day is going to be this amazing milestone. Not every day is going to be this like smooth path. And one of the things I've always consciously focused on, and, and one thing that I've passed to our team is really around mentorship. So we have an advisor who specifically just talks to people about like their personal performance in the sense of work-life balance. And, uh, you know, he's been a longtime mentor of myself and was a vice president at Bank of Montreal and really built that team up and has been doing it forever and retired and has this experience of like the definition of burnout, right? And I, I think understanding balances and checks and the long-term play is the most important thing. And, and for myself, when I was really trying to see, you know, how am I going to think about making those bad times enjoyable just as much as the good times, right? To be able to say, okay, I should let myself emotionally accept that fact. And, you know, there's been some tough times where myself kind of meeting up with my co-founders and executive team, and I constantly do this on a quarterly basis individually and say, hey, listen, like, what's your burnout barometer at? Because you could feel the energy in me and I'm like an energizer bunny. I can just keep going for 10 years and, and I can add these balances and checks. But even though other people have those balances and checks, there's a different stopping point for everyone on that train ride. Right. And, you know, I had a co-founder who recently had a son and really helped us in our first two years of getting our operations off the ground. But as we became more of a sophisticated and structured company, we started running into bigger challenges around supply chain. It became harder for him to find those personal balances and checks. But really, from us having conversations as early as a year in advance, we tried different things. And for everyone, it's always a little different. But at the same time, because of that, like we've built strong exit culture and said, hey, listen, like you're not tied to me for the rest of your life. You have your own little new manager and startup here that joined your family and he's going to be there. And let's figure out different ways in terms of how we adjust your role or create these better opportunities for you to find balance and checks outside of work and see if it works. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Because what we can do is create a strong exit culture to say there's naturally going to be founders, executives, employees that won't be here for your entire ride. But one thing that, you know, because I embody so much of that personal checks in my life, the team knows that typically, you know, on Fridays after 3 p.m., I'm not a fan of doing meetings. It's my time to unwind and get into the weekend. I've set this precedent to say, hey, this is my time that I really need to start to unwind. I'll be here for emergencies and availabilities, but I need this here. 
And by setting that example and finding those things and just vocalizing it, whether it's my team, my family, or anyone else, I've been able to create these balances and checks. That culture has kind of seeped into ourselves. And then we've understood, okay, how do I take these practices? And sure, I could share it, but meditation is not going to be for everyone. Golf won't be for everyone. But it's important that I talk about what I do so that everyone else can also figure out, okay, what do I put in my calendar that's going to say to my manager, I have balances and checks in place that is taking care of myself. And at the same time, when we do these checkpoints with each other to say, hey, listen, like, how's this journey going for you? And whether an employee stays for three months, five years, 10 years, 20 years, it doesn't matter. The main thing I, we really care about is that they are providing value to us and we're providing value back to them. And at the end of the day, if it's their goal is to go and become a designer at Snapchat and we help them get to that journey, we should be proud of that. We don't look at like when people burn out or when people are at an end, we don't say, okay, how do we drag this out? Or how do we keep them as long as possible? It's, you know, how do we help them? How do we get them to recharge, give them the time off, let them think and figure out, you know, what is it truly that's bogging them down? And then from there, slowly start to say, okay, now do you see this being possible? And sometimes the reality is it isn't. Humans are humans. And sometimes people forget that. And what we do is we take a simple approach and by just talking to people and preparing and being able to even, you know, we've set up almost everyone who's had to exit with another job. Like it's so random for a company that you work at to say, hey, listen, don't worry, it didn't work out here. And we understand where your limitations are being hit. But here are these introductions to people at Shopify or here are these introductions to, to Walmart or, or, or wherever you can go and take your skills and apply it elsewhere because we understood that value to them and we still appreciate it. And we understand that it's hard sometimes to go from one environment to the other. And at the same time, when life hits you with certain things, like I've been in that position where I wish that my manager said, hey, listen, like take a week off and just take the time to like really digest it. And whenever I hear about anything with an employee, it's like, hey, listen, just take the time off. It's okay. Your team is here for you. And going forward, what I would love for us to do is like sit down and say, okay, what have you been really spending your one-on-ones with your manager on? And if it hasn't been around that personal work-life balance checks, that's important, right? It's important for the company to also be a part of like improving that in your life. And I think that's the thing that our people managers have to spend the most time on versus these meetings where it's like, hey, this is what I did this week. And this is all the challenges I'm having with work. What should be more important is saying, hey, listen, like, why are you working until 10 p.m. every time we have a deployment, right? And how do we think about like structuring your time? Where are you wasting it with these meetings or things that we're putting as blockers for you? And how do we help restructure it? And at the same time, like, let's do a wellness check and say, have you been, you know, doing, you know, we have an employee who loves cycling in the morning. And has he been doing that cycling in the morning or has it dropped off? And those types of checks, when people have those in place, you can really find out whether or not they're really having that control and balance. And it's not to say every week is going to be like that. Like when we were on Dragon's Den, Canada's version of Shark Tank, I could tell you it was a lot. It was a pretty busy few weeks. Uh, you know, we're getting prepared to be on national television. There's going to be a bit of that grind, but it should have those balances. And I find the ones that I've implemented myself and just by publicly being able to post it, whether it's on my Instagram or whether it's telling the team or sharing photos, you know, it makes other people feel like they can have those things and add them in and still work hard. We're, we're very much on that culture. And I've always been raised on that side of, you know, working hard, but I've also learned to like play hard and create that balance for myself. And I think as I continue to hopefully take advantage of this post-apocalyptic life, I hope to add some more things in, like being able to travel again. It's always been a great aspect of mine. I think 
naturally just being a very ADHD, ADD kind of person, I love switching my environment as it helps like spur some uh, creativity. And, and that really comes in travel. So every time I travel as well, I love playing with dogs and street dogs. So it's also something that kind of relates back to what I spend my days doing at work anyways. Didn't expect that answer. I mean, amazing the information. I, I can't wait for this episode to be released. And, and just on a personal level, I love everything you're doing. Before we wrap up, one really important point that you brought up that I actually haven't had anyone say to me, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal it if you don't mind, but you got to know your burnout barometer, right? Because everyone is different. And I'll use myself as an example. I start early in the day. And I mean, I'll take five minutes to eat, but I do not stop. Like it's go, 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 mm-hmm. go, go. And then I will absolutely hit the wall 3.30, quarter to four. And I know, okay, I'm not done my day, but I'm done right now because I'm just I'm mentally, that's that's all I have. So down to the basement gym, which has been a true blessing. I don't have jujitsu anymore, but I got my basement gym. And that's my Zen time. That's my meditation because it's just me. I put on usually a podcast that is just for me, not business related, just something I enjoy. And it's that hour. And I find by doing that, my mental health is restored. I feel good. I've, I've burnt off some stress because you're right. As an entrepreneur, not every day is going to be fantastic. There's a lot of great days, but there's a lot of days when things go wrong and you have frustrations and, and maybe your business partner has upset you or we're not talking about you, Al. We're, we're talking about our other business partner for <laughs> sure. No, but I, I just really love the, the message that you're delivering. And I'm so glad we got to meet in the introduction. And of course, now you're in our network. And I love what you're doing as well, because being a dog person, there is such a thing as, as dog people, as, as you know. I just love the passion of the company. And I'll tell you a quick story. I, I My last Doberman, unfortunately, woke up one morning and he had, a, he had a slip disc and he was paralyzed. And, you know, you just talk about that passion that people have for their fur babies and for their dogs. And so my wife and I, we got surgery, of course, which caused us a lot of money. We rehabbed this guy. And, and I mean, I was doing physio just based on what I could research on the internet to, you know, try to get him back. And he went from not being able to walk at all to being able to walk a foot and then two feet and then three feet. And as you were telling the story about, you know, how you design your box and dogs aren't colorblind, they can actually tell, you know, that's something for them and they get all excited. And it brought back this memory up. So we rehabbed him all the way back to about, I would say 85%. So he was, he was a little unstable. And he, when we would pour his food, he would get so excited. And we had tile in the kitchen. And because he he didn't you know have the same balance anymore, he would come flying around in the corner, slam into the, the cupboards because he was so excited about his food. And we actually nicknamed him at that time, Slippery Pete, because it was, he was never quite the same. But you're, you're so right about how passionate people are about their pets. And I think it's incredible that you've created this company that is an amazing resource for people where they can just say, hey, I need help here. What are we going to do? Because again... A pug versus a Doberman, I mean, very different, right? So how do you how do you address those? So I just want to say thanks so much for coming on today and sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Cabo? They can definitely find me on Instagram at Vino, V-I-N-O-J-E-Y-A, or find me on LinkedIn as well. So if you search Vino, I'm sure there's only a very few amount in LinkedIn and Toronto that have dogs in their description. So uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Instagram. And I'm always uh, around and here to help anyone who whoever wants to, you know, chat about startups, dogs or, or life in general. 
All right. Awesome. Well, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. And remember, it all starts with one.